Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Man, as the, the song has said, all my life he's been faithful. Isn't he? Has he been faithful to you? He's been faithful to me my whole life. And you know what? You know what fear tries to tell you? Fear tries to tell you that he's not going to be there tomorrow. That he's not going to help you in your dire need. I'm here to tell you, we, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And man, we have our faith and our trust in God. He's always been faithful. He's always been there. And he's always going to be there. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. And man, we are victorious because we have him with us and in us. Amen. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Amen. We uh, have a lot to be thankful for. Most of all, for his grace and his mercy and his spirit. Man, where would we be without Jesus? Where would we be without Jesus? We wouldn't be here. Man, we wouldn't have this hope in him that supersedes all other things. This peace that passes all understanding. Because this, Jesus said, my peace is not of this world. And so we have this peace that other people may not be able to grasp. How, how can you be so at ease and at calm when this, in this crazy turmoil of a world? I'll tell you why. Because I have Jesus in my life. Amen. I have his peace and it passes all understanding. Amen. We have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. Amen. Because Jesus is with us. Amen. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Man, we are free to worship him, free from anything, any hindrance. Amen. And I want to give him my all. Amen. Amen. It's so good to see everyone here to worship the Lord together, to worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what the true worshiper is, right? Amen. We know there are many here. We're all here worshiping God. Amen. And uh, glad to see that, uh, like me, you all couldn't get away for the weekend as well. So it's good to be here. Amen. And so uh, we want to welcome all of our guests. It's so good to have you here. We pray that God would speak and minister to you as he has done to us. He's been faithful to us. We know he'll touch you and, and speak to you today. Amen. And so uh, excited for you to be here. Amen. And know God's going to have his way. Amen. It's so good to see uh, Justin and Stephanie come back and visit us. Amen. They, they, they were able to get away. Amen. And so I can't believe it's already been a year. No, it's been a year. I can't believe that. This time last year, they, they went on to other opportunities, and so we're glad to see them here visiting us. Amen. And so as our ushers come, we want to remember um, what's going on. We're, we are in a church-wide fast and, and consecration uh, in preparation for our, our late-night prayer meeting, September 17th, Friday. Amen. So thank you to Sister Lisa and Sister Ashley for helping organize this. Amen. Being involved. Amen. And if you uh, if you want to be involved, um, see Sister Lisa for more information. Find her after church. Amen. She's got information for you to, to uh, get connected. Amen. And so as we pray for this offering tonight, we want to pray for the needs. Uh, we want to pray for uh, Sister uh, Kathy Snyder. Uh, Brother Larry Snyder passed away uh, the other day, so lift her up. And those that are in need uh, in the hospital, Sister Pauline, keep your hand upon Sister Pauline. She keeps going in and out of the hospital. We know God's going to touch her. Amen. And, and those that are sick or traveling that you know of, let's all lift them up before the Lord right now. Lord Jesus, Lord, we thank you, God, for this time, this opportunity. Lord, we thank you for your presence here today, for all that you are doing in our midst. God, we lift up these needs before you, God. You know each and every need, every situation. God, we pray that your peace would go and comfort them. Your hand be upon them. We plead the blood of Jesus over their minds, their hearts, their bodies. Lord, that your will would be done. God, we pray for this offering that you would multiply it. Bless it for your kingdom. In Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen, amen. Let's come and give unto the Lord as we worship and giving today. And all my life you have been so, so good with every breath, every breath that I am able. Oh, I will sing of the good, and I will sing of the goodness of God. Oh, I will sing, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Oh, I will 
Seven, start reading verse 1. Woe is me. Woe is me, for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits, as the grape gleanings of the vintage. There is no cluster to eat. My soul desired for the first ripe fruit. So he says, woe is me, because this is, this is not available. The good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man, his brother, with a net. That they may do evil in both hands earnestly. The prince asketh, and the judge asketh for a reward. The great man, he uttereth his mischievous desire, so they wrap it up. The best of them is as a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of thy watchman and thy visitation cometh, now shall be their perplexity. Trust ye not in a friend, put ye not confidence in the guide, keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. For the son dishonoreth the father, and the daughter rises up against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are in are the men of his own house. You can understand why he's saying, "Woe is me." So there, Micah is looking around at his world, describing for us the world that he sees, and he all he can say is, "Woe is me." Because to Micah, it seems like he's just, he's by himself. He's all alone. Verse 7, therefore, therefore I will look unto the Lord, and I will wait for the God of my salvation, and my God will hear me. Aren't you thankful that your God is going to hear you? No matter what's going on in your life, no matter where you are, no matter what the world looks like, you have somebody you can look to, the God of our salvation, and He's, he's going to hear your cry and hear your prayer. And man, I want to preach to you today from this title, A Single Seed, A Single Seed. Turn to a few people and greet them in the name of the Lord, and you may be seated. 
Man, up in some Arctic island in Norway sits a structure that could be said is one of the greatest, uh, one of the world's greatest assets. Most of this uh, facility, this structure is underground and it is purposely built into the frozen ground of the Arctic. Its purpose, its sole purpose, its only purpose is to store seeds. It's to store seeds. It is considered the world's seed vault. Every seed out there in this world, they've gathered many of them and they've put them up there in this facility to keep them. As of June 2021, the seed vault conserves over 1 million distinct crop samples, representing over 13,000 years of agricultural history. Every seed that we know to have that is still available can be found up there in this facility in Norway. They are storing these seeds in case of natural disasters come in and they ruin, wipe out crops and farmlands and, and destruction comes and, and there's, there's no more seed. Well, they have the seeds stored up there in Norway. Or, or maybe they're storing them just in case we intelligent beings decide to bomb each other and destroy the world. When nuclear bombs are dropped and it pulverizes and wipes out everything we know, Take comfort in knowing that there are seeds out there somewhere. There, that seeds are out there, they're safe, and they're ready to be planted after everything is vaporized. You can find a place to go get some seeds. If you happen to be the only survivor and nothing else is alive, and if you can somehow make it up to this Arctic island, you'll have all the seeds you want. To plant a nice garden for yourself. Any variety, over a million different varieties of foods. Uh, so all you got to do is somehow make it to this island out there in the Arctic uh, by yourself. Uh, and so uh, people may look at this and the world actually obviously is in, in, in part with this. And they're helping to uh, support this as best they can because uh, they don't have God. They don't have God. I, I, I don't have to worry about the seed vault up there in Norway. I've got Jesus Christ that I can call upon. The Bible talks about when his people needed him, all Jesus did, all God did was call down manna from heaven. And every single day they would go out and they'd pick up some, some manna, some food, and God fed them and sustained them for 40 years. And so I don't have to worry about finding some seed vault. All I got to do is to call on the name of the Lord, and I, he's going to take care of us. He'll provide a way. He'll make a way where there seems to be no way. And man, I'm thankful that I, I don't have to put my, my faith and my hope and my trust in, in some kind of facility like that. I have Jesus Christ that I can call upon. And each and every day, I can feel his presence in my life. And, and if I know, if I can feel his presence moving, I know that he is real. I know that he is uh, on the throne and he is alive and that his word is true and it is forever settled in heaven. That's what I put my faith and hope and trust in. So Micah says, woe is me, for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits, as the grape gleanings of the vintage, there is no cluster to eat, and my soul desired for the first ripe fruit. And so every summer they would come and they would gather the harvest, and uh, they would gather the summer fruits, and uh, he, he, he was liking that, or maybe he was speaking on behalf of God, uh, how God was hoping to see some, uh, some first fruits. And, uh, uh, but he cries because of the sight of the people. The sight of the people, uh, the prophets, the, the politicians, uh, the, the priesthood. He, what he sees is that they are all polluted. They are all corrupted by the pursuit of prosperity and sin and, and wealth and riches. And this pained Micah's soul. Woe is me. It says the good man, verse 2, is perished out of the earth. 
no more good people around. There is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man, his brother, with a net. While Micah, he could find no one of integrity, there was no shortage of men who were bloodthirsty. Uh, you couldn't find a good person, but you can find plenty of evil people that are, uh, are, out, are out for themselves or are, are out for some kind of uh, wicked scheme that they're following after. But not a single good person that Micah speak, did, did he see. Verse 3, that they might do evil with both hands. Earnestly, you're not hiding one hand behind your back and got your fingers crossed. These people got both hands out. They're wide out in the open. They don't care anymore. They're just full-fledged. They're going earnestly after their, their, their agenda, their, the evil that they're involved in, the schemes that they're in. Uh, both hands, are, they're in it uh, and doing it earnestly. The prince asketh, and the judge asketh for a reward. The great man, he uttereth his mischievous desire, and so they wrap it up. And so he sees the leaders of the country, they have their hands dirty. They don't stand with morals uh, or on the side of ethics. Uh, and, and while they may not have blood on their hands, their hands are not clean. And, and he goes on to say the judges, the judges are asking for a reward. The judges, those who decide who receives mercy and those who deserve, and those who deserve punishment, uh, Micah says, I see judges that are corrupted. Uh, they do things for bribes and rewards and, and be deals behind closed doors. The very justice system is, is corrupt and, and stinks to high heaven. And, and what can you do when the judges are part of the problem? That's what, that's what Micah is witnessing. This is not 2021, this is, this is thousands of years ago. Verse 4, the best of them is as a briar. The best one that he, Micah can spot was a briar. as a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn edge. Uh, the, the day of thy watchman, thy visitation cometh, now shall there be their perplexity. And so even those who society deems as the best... The best among us. They are as dangerous as a hedge of thorns. When in the eyes of Micah, in the eyes of a righteous person just trying to do right, just trying to do good. What the world's best person is, is as dangerous as a sharp hedge of thorns. Verse 5, trust ye not in a friend. Bad, a bad time must have been. Trust ye not in a friend. Not only does deceit lurk in every corner of society, but Micah goes on to say that even friends now are not trustworthy. Put ye not confidence in the guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. Micah goes even further when he says, don't put your confidence in those who claim to be able to guide you. Whether they be leaders or, or, or teachers or advisors or counselors, don't, don't put your faith or confidence in them. Because Micah says, uh, although my, their heart may be right, they, they often will be the ones that will trick you and, and, and purposely deceive you and, and just tell you the things that you want to hear and, and skip over the bad parts. And maybe they're the ones that are they're not going to speak the whole truth or they'll skip over that book of the Bible or they'll skip over those verses and say, well, let's not read those and uh, those are the people that Micah's referred to. There are plenty out there that are not doing anybody any good by making everything sound good and skipping over the hard parts of life. He said, Don't put your trust in them either. Verse 6 For the son dishonoreth the father, the daughter riseth up against her mother, the daughter in law against her mother in law. A man's enemies are the men of his house. Families are destroyed and fighting one another, and they can't, they can't get along, and they're cutting each other off and saying, we don't want to see you anymore, and uh, all, these, all, these, all these horrible things, and uh, even their own families disappointing them at one time or another as Micah is seeing, and he's observing a society that is lacking integrity. It is riddled with cruelty. 
friends that cannot be trusted and, and marriages that, that were less uh, than fulfilling and families are, are, are disappointing. And, and we thought that we are the only ones living in such a perverse and crooked generation. The society that Micah lived in sounds to me a lot like the world I'm in. Could be just me, though. I could, I think I could go read that passage to an atheist, and he'd probably say, well, you're describing our world today. Well, what, who do you turn to? The question that Micah is, is stumbled at, and, and that's why he says, woe is me. He's looking for some, some help. He's looking for some other fellow people that stand for truth and righteousness. And, and, and who do you turn to uh, when your elected leaders are dishonest? Uh, when, when the very judges are dishonorable, where do you go when the court systems are, uh, don't uphold justice? And, and when you can't trust in your friends and, and your family will tear you apart, well, who is left? Who is left to go to? Where do you go? And, and who do you trust in? I'm thankful Micah found out, and I'm thankful that he let us know in verse 7. Therefore, since I can't go to anybody else, therefore, I will look to the Lord. I'm going to look to Jesus. I'm going to look my head up. I will wait for my God, my, my salvation, and my God is going to hear me. See, when the world all around you is corrupt and, and there is no one that you can trust and depend upon, I'll tell you who you go to. You turn to the rock of ages and you go to the strong tower of his name. You turn to the one that does not change, who never changes, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You turn to the one who is tried and true and you look and you wait unto God, the God of our salvation. Because we know He's been faithful our whole life, and he's always going to be there for us. Amen? It's a, it's a struggle to live for God in a society like this. It's, it's no easy task to live a righteous life in an unrighteous world. The world regularly pushes at you or constantly uh, attacking or beating you down or incessantly pulling you down, trying to shackle your soul and, and trying to throw some of their hopelessness and their depression and their anxiety on you because it's upon everyone else, but somehow it's not, getting, it's not sticking to you. Uh, and so they're always after you, and it can be tiresome and exhausting. Day after day, trying to look around and look, look for some good. Where are all the good people? Where are all the righteous people? And, and waking up, looking around, hoping that the world magically got better overnight. But not so. It actually gets worse. And so the fight continues to live righteously in an unrighteous world. To stand and fight and to continue to pray and believe. You can easily become weary and well-doing. You can easily get tired of it all. But we must not quit doing that. We still have to stand strong. We must not give in. We got to keep on praying and keep on believing and keep on trusting in God. Even when the times don't feel like it, we still got to do it anyways. But Isaiah 40 tells us, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. And they shall run and not faint. And they shall walk and, and not faint and run and not be weary. Those that wait upon the Lord. Isn't that what Micah said that he was going to do? I'm just going to wait upon the Lord. I'll tell you how, how you get your strength is you wait on the Lord. You wait on Jesus and he's going to come through and deliver you and help you out in your situation we have this promise and we have this assurance that God is going to get us through no matter the dark of, uh, darkest of the night God will get us through he'll give us the strength to keep on fighting to keep on pushing back to keep on believing the enemy and, and pushing back the enemy but that promise that promise is only for those that will look to him. You got to look to God to get that strength and to wait upon him. Not just look, but wait. 
We can we can do a quick glance, Lord, where are you? But our, our, we got to wait too. Two people can go through exactly the same thing. One could have waited on the Lord and the other have not. And the outcomes are going to be completely different, I believe. It's important, it's critical, it's essential to our survival and our strength to look unto the Lord and to wait upon him. But, but the, the question is, how many people wait on God? Or, or how long does our patience last? And, and how long before we grow impatient and say, well, I'm just going to go and, and to do this on my own then? Uh, uh, how long until we throw in the towel? And how long until we give up on God and go and do it our own way? And, and that's when our molehill really turns into a mountain, doesn't it? Not because of God. Not because of the devil, not, but because of our actions and our reactions. Simply stated, maybe we didn't wait on the Lord. And we're going to quickly blame the devil for all this. Maybe it could be very well our own fault for not looking to God or not waiting on God. Uh, and so um, uh, we should not expect... Just because we've been uh, in the church and born again and, 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 and given our life to God, we shouldn't expect to be walking on water the rest of our days. I think that's kind of a hidden, hidden idea in the back of our mind. We should be walking on water, Lord, the rest of my days. But it doesn't seem like that's happening. It feels like we're sinking at times. But there are going to be times that, that we make mistakes and, and in moments of weakness uh, we slip and we, we sink into the sea. And, and to make matters worse, our friends and our, our, our enemies are, are there to point fingers and to laugh at us. And, and, and when we fall, we need to declare what, what the, the prophet Micah said in verse 8. Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord is going to be a light unto me. So when I fall, when I find myself surrounded by a dark, dark world, I'm just going to sit there and I'm going to wait on the Lord because he's going to come and he's going to be my light. When I fall, I shall arise. I, I'm not going to stay down. I'm going to get right back up because we don't have time to mope and moan and, and suck our thumbs. Uh, we got to get back up and get back in the game and keep on believing and keep on fighting a good fight of faith. Uh, otherwise, we'll get overtaken by whatever this world is being overtaken by. Maybe too many apostolics stay down for too long. And things can easily get worse from there. Devil, you, you, you may laugh at me when I fall, but you're going to be, not be laughing very long because I'm going to get right back up. I'm going to keep on standing. Rejoice not against me, oh my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. I'm going to get back up and I'm going to stand and wait for the Lord to come and be my light. When I'm surrounded by the enemy and, and when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear any evil. Why? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Why? Because I'm, I'm going to look unto the Lord, my Savior. He's going to be my light and my Savior. God doesn't give up on us when we fall. He doesn't give up on us. Many times we might give up on ourselves, but God's not giving up on us if we stumble and fall. He wants to come there and be with us and to stand by our side when we're surrounded by darkness. And so all we need to do is we need to look for his hand when we fall. We look for his light when we sit in darkness and the, and the, the dark world is closing in around us. Don't worry about the darkness. You just look for the light because the light's going to be there. Jesus said we are the salt and the light of this world. So let, let, let God shine out through you. Let him emit his glory and his righteousness and his faith through us and shine into this dark world. Because I've got more reason to rejoice than the devil does. 
I've got more reason to rejoice than the devil does. I've got a reason to dance, more of a reason to dance than I do mourn. I've got more of a reason to shout than I do to cry. And so why? Because God has already turned my mourning into dancing. I've already traded my sorrows for rejoicing. And, and God has done so much for me. I've got more than enough reasons to rejoice. And so I'm going to keep on praising God. I'm going to keep on looking to him, and he's going to be there for us. When the devil begins to rejoice at our demise, all we got to do is remind him that while my future is full of rejoicing and dancing, his future is full of sorrow and mourning. The past that I used to have is going to be his future one day. And his past is going to be my future. He was in heaven worshiping the Lord one day. That's where I'm going to be. We're switching places, devil. And so don't beat me up about my past. I'll beat you up about your past. You were in heaven. And you backslid and there wasn't even a devil and you couldn't make it. And so I'm going to be fighting. I'm going to keep uh, standing for God and, and, and believing that God is going to be there for me. And so when, it, when the darkness comes around, we just got to look and wait unto the Lord. Romans 9, verse 25 says, As he saith also in O.C., that's Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, her beloved, which was not beloved. Isn't, isn't that incredible? To look back and to reflect on your life, where you've been and, and what you've been through and all that you've done, and to sit here today in this place, surrounded by all these people from all different walks of life. And we know deep down inside, had we continued on the path that we were on, we would probably would have not met any sing uh, not a single person here. We would not have met anybody here. Had we continued on our path, uh, we would not get to know anybody in this room. And, and, and to then get to hear God say, these are my people. These are my people. What an amazing uh, account to hear God say that we are the people of God. And, and, and when we all know that, uh, I, we all know that, and I hope that we haven't forgot that we were not the people of God. At one point in our life, we were not the people of God, far, far from it, and yet here we are as the people of God here on the Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, praising God and worshiping God because of his greatness. Talk about an act of grace. Talk about an act of the mercy of God. That's why we come here to worship him. That's why we come here to, to magnify him the way that we do, because we know that we shouldn't be here. So pardon us if we get a little excited and, and pardon us if we get a little, if we clap our hands and shout and dance and we may run the aisles joyfully because we've got so much to be thankful for and we're not going to let an opportunity pass us by even though I may be going through a hard time, I'm still going to be praising God. Verse 26, it shall come to pass. That in the place where it was said unto them, you are not my people, there shall they be called the children of God, of the living God. And, and so when you go through a trial or you face a hardship, maybe, maybe it feels that you're surrounded by the enemy. And that you maybe, maybe you feel like you are like Micah and you're sitting in darkness. And, and the attacks come and, and persecution comes. And the voice tries to tell you that, oh, you're not, you're not the people of God. You're, you're no good. You're, you're broken and you're fallen and you're worthless. Well, I'm here to tell you today that those voices are not the ones you need to be listening to. You need to be listening to the voice of the Lord, the word of God, because he says in that place where it is said unto them that they are not the children of God, that's exactly where I'm going to call them the children of the living God. Because God is there in your corner. He is cheering you on. There, there's my child. There's my son. There's my daughter. They're going to be strong and they're going to go, they're going to make it. Why? Because I gave them my spirit and I gave them my strength. 
Um, and I'm going to help them any way that I can. We must not forget that God is always on our side. He's always on our side. It doesn't matter how many may stand against us. It doesn't matter how many negative words and voices you hear. All that matters is God is on my side. God is on my side. All that matters is I am a child of the living God. Nothing else matters. No other opinions matter. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. That's who I am. I am who I am because he says who I am. I'm not going to listen to anybody else. I'm going to listen to Jesus Christ, and I am a child of God, and that means I'm going to be victorious. I'm not going to be defeated. I'm going to make it. I'm going to get through the other side because no weapon formed against us is going to prosper because we're the children of God, and he's on our side. Verse 27, Isaiah's, Isaiah cried also concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. So there is some certainty. There's some certainty in this, voice, in this verse. There is a guarantee from God in this voice, in this verse. A guarantee from God. And what is it? That people will be saved. People will be saved. A remnant shall be saved. There's no, that's the end of the argument. When God says a remnant shall be saved, that means there's going to be people that will be saved. There, there's no need to wonder if people are going to make it or not because God said that there will be people that will be saved. It doesn't matter how bad things get, people are going to be saved. It doesn't matter how dark the world gets, people will be saved. It doesn't matter what kind of stronghold it is or how tight the enemy's grip is, God said that people will be saved. It doesn't matter how much sin is promoted or paraded around. Where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. There's more grace in this world than there is sin. And there is a lot of sin out there. That means there must be a whole lot of grace out there. And if there is grace out there, that means people will be saved. People are going to be saved. Now, God didn't say, Everyone will be saved. He said a remnant will be saved. A remnant is a remainder or what is left. Those that remained faithful until the end, they will be saved. And only a small remnant will have the strength and the fortitude uh, to endure to the end. Why? Because they've learned to look unto the Lord and they look to wait upon him when they, when they sit in their trials and their hard times. Uh, uh, it also says many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but only a remnant is going to be saved. There's no, there's no question there's no uh, debate about it. There's no discussion. God says a remnant is going to be saved. People will be saved. So now it just comes down to whether or not you're in that remnant. Because we, we know the remnant is going to be saved. Their people will be saved. That's guaranteed. It's up to us to decide if we're going to be in that remnant or not. If we're going to be in the church or not. The church is going to be saved. The church, Jesus is coming back for his church. We're told that, and we know that's going to be true. And so he's coming back for his church, and so it's, all, it, it, it's on us to determine if we're going to be a part of that or not. And that's a choice he gives every single person. And so uh, the a remnant is going to be saved. The church is going to make it and out of this world. There's no arguing with the word of God because it is forever settled in heaven. And so what is up for grabs is whether you are in the church or whether you are part of the remnant. And so that's the million-dollar question. And being a part of the church is not attendance-based. 
It's not attendance-based. Just raising your hand and saying present doesn't make you a part of the remnant. If it were that simple, then the devil could show up to church every week and say, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, present. And so it's got to be more than just showing up, doesn't it? Because a lot of people show up every Sunday to church. Not just here, but all across the world, people are going to churches. Doesn't mean they're preaching the truth and, and obeying the plan of salvation. But if attendance was the only key, then uh, lots of people are, are going to heaven. And so uh, it's got to be more than just showing up. But Jesus told us uh, what it really means. And who's going to see it? John 3 and 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. There you go. There's a, there's a dividing line right there in the sand of who's going to be, who's going to see the kingdom of God, who's going to enter into it. Only those that are born again, born of the water and of the Spirit. Uh, and so that can uh, filter out a lot of people who just show up but never experience the new birth experience. Uh, they're missing out on some things. Peter goes on to explain this in more detail in Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so as far as I know, Peter is the only one in Scripture that has the keys of the kingdom. The kingdom that Jesus talked about in John 3, 5, the kingdom of God, we're, we're showed uh, in Scripture that Jesus says, uh, here you go, Peter, here's the keys to the kingdom. And so Jesus gave Peter the keys. And so it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't want to matter what some kind of uh, uh, PhD, some doctorate in theology from some religious college thinks. It doesn't matter what they think. They don't have the keys. Only one person has the keys, and that's Peter. Uh, and so uh, only Peter has the keys, so it is crucial to listen to what Peter says. Don't just throw his words off to the side. He's the only one that has the keys. And he is the one here in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost is the birthday of the church. This is when the church actually starts to open its doors for the very first time. And the church age has begun. And so who better to preach the first sermon on the first day of the church than the man that has the keys. Because he's the only one that can open the doors and let people come in. And, and so... What does Peter say? What does Peter do? What is his message? Does he say, by grace are you saved? Come, on, come one, come all. Does he preach John 3.16? Just, just believe. Fill out this card and believe. Make that, make that decision today. He didn't say any of that, did he? But yet there's many churches, many people, many preachers out there have all kinds of doctorates and, and, and can quote the Bible from front to back. doesn't matter what they're saying. It only matters what Peter's saying. He's the only one that has the keys. And what did Peter say? He said basically the same thing that Jesus said in John 3 and 5. You must be born of the water and of the Spirit. Jesus get, or Peter gives more detail. Uh, you repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Born of the water and of the Spirit. And, and that's it. There's really nothing more than that. I mean, it goes into deeper about uh, how you live right and live a holy and righteous life. Uh, many of the epistles address all of that. But the obedience to the, to the foundation of, of the gospel, the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ, is you need to be born again. And the way that you're born again is being baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues. And then you go on to live a, a holy and righteous life. That's what the man with the keys said you need to do. And what happened, as you, if you would read on some more in uh, your time, uh, is 
the people said, what, what, what do we need to do after he preached? And this is what Peter said. Uh, and, and so they, they believed his words, and 3,000 people were added to the church that day. 3,000 people repented and, and were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost because that's what Peter told them to do. And so 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. And, and so that is what, uh, what makes us be a part of the church of the living God or, or the remnant uh, of God, if you will. And so we have to understand uh, that that is the only way you can get into the kingdom and that's the only way you're going to see the kingdom of God, according to Jesus. Uh, and, and so uh, that's what gets us in the church. It's not my rules. It's not my church. I'm just commissioned by the Holy Ghost to tell everyone how all this works. And I can't skip over verses. I'm not permitted to say, no, that doesn't apply today. No, I'm given the word of God, and i got to read every part of it, and i got to preach every part of it, the good parts and the bad parts. That's what a truth-preaching church is going to do, and we're going to follow after what Peter said, the apostolic doctrine. There's only one Lord and one faith and one baptism, and that's what we teach and preach, and that's what we hold on to. Musicians, if you would come. And so verse 28 of Romans. For he will finish the work, talking about God. He will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness. Because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. Time is running out. This, is, this was written 2,000 years ago. And he, Paul is talking about a short time, a short work. Uh, how much shorter is it now, 2,000 years later, and if the Lord is cutting it short in righteousness and uh, uh, cutting it short upon the earth, that means we don't have much time left. And if you're paying any attention to what's going out there in this world, to me it looks like the Antichrist system, one world system is getting set up out there. And, and so it leads me to, to leads me to my knees and say, oh, i got to get a hold of Jesus Christ like never before. I don't know what's going on out there, but it seems like it's getting dark, darker by the day. But all I know is I have this reassurance and this promise that when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. Verse 29, and Isaiah said before, except the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. Unless the Lord left us a seed, we would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. This is Paul talking. God made sure that a single that a seed would be left that one seed would survive even if the devil gathered up all the seeds that he could and he burned all those seeds even if the devil and somehow invaded uh, that seed bank up in, in Norway and burned the whole place to the ground god will make sure that he'll leave somebody a seed He'll make sure that a single seed is left behind. Uh, but God, the devil's not going to get a hold of every one of them. It, it may appear like he's gathering them all, but God will make sure that a seed will be left, that there will always be a remnant. There will always be truth that is being preached. There will always be somebody standing up and saying, Thus saith the Lord, you need to repent of your sins. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. And you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. No matter what country or what society or what time of the world it is, there's always a seed of truth being preached. Because God will always leave a seed for the next generation. He kept his hand upon the faithful. He kept his hedge of protection around the steadfast saints. David said, I have been young and now I am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread? That's why I don't have to worry about traveling up to Norway. I've got a scripture here that God is going to provide for me. The righteous will not be forsaken, or his seed's not going to be begging for bread. Why? Because God is going to be watching over. God will make sure 
that there will always be a remnant of his heritage. There will always be a seed that is there being passed on from, from Adam to Noah. As, as evil as the world got in Noah's day, God said, I'll, I'll wipe out the world and Noah, I'll start over with you. All God needs is somebody, just one person to start over with. And when it goes from Abraham, Isaac to Jacob, and it goes to the children of Israel leaving Egypt, and Moses is leading them, and it came to a point where God was so frustrated with Israel that he, the Lord told Moses, step aside, step aside, Moses. I'm going to drop a nuclear bomb here, and I'm going to wipe these people out. And what did he say? I'll start over with you, Moses. I'll start over with you. All God needs is just one person living for the Lord, and God can turn this whole world upside down. God can restart everything in his plan. All he needs is a single seed. All he needs is somebody to say, I'm not going to bow down to the idols. I'm not going to give in to the ways of this world. I'm going to stand for righteousness. And don't you think that God is going to protect that person? Don't you think he's going to keep his hand upon that one person that's going to stand in the face of evil and says, I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to give in to the ways of the devil. I'm going to stand for truth, and I'm going to stand for righteousness. Of all people, God's going to make sure those people are going to be protected. It goes from David after, after they come into the promised land. And the seed is being passed all the way down to, to John the Baptist and to, to Jesus Christ. And, and the truth is being passed from, from Peter and John to, to Paul and Barnabas. And, and somehow the truth is being kept and preserved and, and passed on through all the, the ages of history and through all the dark ages and the med- medieval times and all these things. And, and, and somehow the truth uh, it, it shows up. In 1900, uh, to Charles Parham and, and William Seymour. And then the truth is being passed on to uh, a man by the name of G.T. Haywood and another man by the name of, of Andrew Urshan. And then somehow this seed is being passed on to, to uh, somebody named Brother and Sister Elkins. And then the seed is being passed on to uh, somebody named Brother and Sister Bruce. And somehow the seed is still here, still being preached, still being taught and still being declared. Why? Because all God needs is somebody to stand for righteousness. Why? Because a remnant is going to be saved. God's going to be saving people, and it's going to be those who believe on his word through the seed of truth that is passed. You stand with me today. God will always make sure that there will always be a remnant. It doesn't matter how dark the world is. God has people that that are in China. The underground church in China, they say, is one of the largest in the world. God God knows what he's doing. God's not concerned about China. God's not concerned about Russia. God's not concerned about any of these countries. Why? Because his will is going to be done, and he says, hey, I'm going to be saving some people. There will be a remnant of people that will be saved. There has always been apostolics living for God in every generation. And now it, the truth has been passed to us, passed to each and every one of us. And so, had, not, had God not left a seed of truth, had he not left us a seed, we would be as Sodom and Gomorrah. But we are the remnants of the apostolics that are alive today. We're carrying the tradition of Peter and Paul and the apostles. And and we're here, called to be here in these last days. And we're not going to bow now. We're not going to surrender now. After all these thousands of years of people passing the torch on and say, hey, here's the truth. Preach it and teach it to your kids and keep passing it forward. It's come all the way up to here. And you and I have this seed in our hands. And we can't let it die with us. We can't let the seed die with us. And we're not going to let it die with us. But we're going to go continue to pass this truth on. 
We're going to teach it to our kids. We're going to teach it to our children. We're going to teach it to the lost. And we're going to teach it to this hurting and dying world because that is what we have been given. And so we are going to give it to others. Elijah fought on the battle of his life on Mount Carmel. We are told that Elijah was all alone. Israel was not even on his side. Israel was on the side of Baal and and false idolatry. But there Elijah was. Maybe he was like Micah, looking around this dark world. Woe is me. There's, there's There's no one else here. It's just me. It's just me. And if I give in, then the the, the light is out. Then the truth is gone. But Elijah said, I'm not going to give in. I'm going to fight this even if I have to fight it all by myself. We know he had his servant with him. But there was nobody else there standing and saying, Jehovah is God. Not Baal, but Jehovah is God. And so Elijah looked around and surely there's got to be at least one other person staying with me. Surely there will be one that will come stand with me and fight against this ungodliness. But there was none. And so he took a stand all by himself. A single seed standing there on that mountaintop that day. And what happened? God backed up that one man instead of a whole nation. He didn't care who was all on the other side. God stood with that one man, that one person that says, Jehovah is God. There's no other truth. We're not going to bow to false idols or false doctrine. And and God showed up and fire came down from heaven and consumed the, the sacrifice. And after that victory, after all the false prophets were slain, Elijah runs off. And he spends some time alone with God. He kind of whines a little bit, complains a little bit. I mean, he was there by himself, so I guess we can give him some grace. But he tells God, I'm the only one left, Lord. I'm the only one left. Standing here and fighting for truth. I'm the only one. What does God tell Elijah? It may seem like you're the only one, Elijah, but you're not the only one. I have 7,000 others that are still standing for truth. I have 7,000 others that have not bowed to Baal, that have not surrendered, that are still standing for truth. They're still fighting for truth too. And so even though you and I, we may feel like at times that we are alone, we need to understand this. We are not alone. God is at work and God has other people that are still standing, still fighting and still praying for God's will to be done. And so they're still living right. Even though we look around, we don't see much happening. There are still people that will not bow down and will not give in. There is an army that is rising up in these last days. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord is going to lift up a standard against the enemy. I'm here to tell you, we're part of the army of God. We are not on our own. It may seem like we're by ourselves at times, but there is an army that is rising up, and God is on our side, and God is going to show himself strong in these last days. How many are glad to be a part of the church of the living God? We don't need to fear of what's going on around us. We need to stand strong. We need to come together, and we need to be united like never before. Why? Because the enemy is out there, but he's not going to defeat us. The the, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. And so we as the body, I want to open up the altars today to the body to come together. If you have a need in your body, if you have sickness or you got pain, I don't care what it is, we believe that God is greater than that. Don't you? If you have something going on in your life and you need prayer, I want you to come down because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And we're going to bind together down here. We're going to pray, and we're going to believe that God's going to do something great today. Amen? Come on, let's open this to the altars. Let's worship. If you need prayer, you need a touch from God, come on down here. If you need to be baptized in Jesus' name, come on down here. We're going to worship together. We're in this together. 
We're not by ourselves. God is on our side. Come on. Let's come and worship. Let's come and pray. Let's come and minister to other people and help them feel at home here in the house of God. Let's worship the Lord together. Lift up your voice and sing for joy. Clap your hands. Make a joyful noise. God is here today.
victory. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Even in complete darkness, we still have the victory, don't we? Because God will come and be a light unto us. Amen. Amen. We have nothing to fear. Amen. Everything is in God's hands. Amen. We're in God's hands. Amen. And we may be a single seed, but we know that we're not the only one. Amen. All God needs is a, a, a mustard seed of faith. I think I have enough of that. I have a mustard seed of faith for God's going to do something. Man, when there seems to be no way, amen. Amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed today in Jesus' name. Don't forget about the bread. You want some bread or, or you want us to grab uh, the book for the kids to start devotions every single day. Amen. Those are out there as well.